Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good afternoon, everyone, and this show is brought to you as a public service of the New England Ghost Project. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and with me all the way from the UK, if it's still there, the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. Welcome to lockdown. Lockdown, yeah. We're in lockdown over here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're not allowed out. Except to buy essential food and medical supplies. Oh, that's good. You never go out anyways. You're not as the other 60 million people now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, uh, I'm excited. Uh, got a guy on my show that I found over 20 years ago. That's, I can't believe it, but yeah. Well, he's still talking to you. I, I know that's the amazing part. <laughs> Anyways, he is the hottest working man of the paranormal, Mr. Hollywood. Zach! Jeff, Jeff Belanger. Oh. Hello. Oh, yeah. dis- Zach. Disappointed. Wow. Uh, it's nice to hear from you, too, Steve. Hi. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Uh, you know, I, the only reason I agreed to do this is because I'm locked in. There's nowhere else I could go. Ron's like, I hey, know. I know you're not busy. I know you're not <laughs> doing anything. Like, oh, you got me. Let's do it. What, you're locked in as well? Uh, yeah, we are. Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. I only thought it was New York and um, California. Noon today. Noon today that went down. Oh, it sucks, doesn't it? Well, is it Wait a minute, Steve. Is it really a locked... I mean, uh, Jeff, is yeah. it really a lockdown? No. So it's uh, all non-essential businesses have been asked right. to asked to let people work from home or to shut down. Um, you know, yes, like like you, Steve, we can get food and medical supplies and things like that. I don't imagine they're going to be pulling people over um, saying, where are you going? But, um, you know, the reality is this is serious and you got to take it seriously. And if people aren't voluntarily staying in to curb this thing, then you're going to have to take stronger action. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Well, yeah. over here in the UK, as of yesterday, the police are now enforcing it. They are pulling people over, asking them why they're out and what they're doing. Yeah, but uh, they do it with such a chi- charming accent. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, we, we got ourselves into this problem because over at the weekend, uh, when things were a little bit more relaxed, and they, they shut the schools on Friday, they gave them like a, a uh, they brought the Easter holiday forward two weeks, and... Uh, Everybody went to the beach. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. All the people that have holiday homes and uh, caravans by the sea, um, where we are, we're a holiday area, and all of a sudden we had 10,000 more people arrive on Saturday, oh. and everything was very busy, very full, and so I think something had to give. Mm. Well, yeah. There you go. Well, it's, it's, so it's an it's a new time, right? It's some it's a new. We don't have a playbook for this. Um, I, I mean, we do, but it's uh, none of us were alive the last time the playbook was used. <clears throat> so, well, Ron was. 
because yeah, he's he's at least 130 years old. So I guess he remembers the Spanish flu uh, yeah, from Spanish 1918. Flu. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, you you were what 30 back then, Ron? How old were you then? Yeah, yeah, I was uh, yeah 30. That's exactly right, boy. Very good. <laughs> the best piece of um, the best piece of information or uh, advice I've come across in the last week. Um, and for that reason, because the last pandemic was a hundred years ago, is that uh, we have the only thing we have from that era now are people's journals, notes, newspaper cuttings, um, and people are saying keep diaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, make a day by day sort of account of. Anyways, this show is doesn't want to talk about that. No, no. it's all they get on the. No, we don't. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> why be timely? All, yeah, it's on. It's on the freaking news all the time. It's on everything else. People want to get away from that a little bit. Hey, without we're creating. We're creating ghosts as we speak. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, <laughs> you know, Jeff, when I when I realized you were coming on the show today, I I started doing some reminiscing, and I was thinking about when I first started this, like over 20 years ago and I went on the internet which was really really new then and the number one site on there was this thing called Ghost Village and it's still up it's still up, can you believe it? 21 years God bless you 21 years the website's been up and running Um, yeah, it was it started because I had uh, written some articles in the mid 90s uh, on the the paranormal. I'd interviewed Ed and Lorraine Warren. This was for a newspaper Uh, for your younger listeners. Newspapers are these print (laughs) paper that uh, it's like a tablet, but you throw it away. I don't know. Um, So it's uh, so I used to work in newspapers. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No. Now you save it and you use it. Uh, This is a critical time. So um, so I I was writing these articles and the newspaper had a website and this was the super early days. And they said, boy, your paranormal articles get five times the traffic of all of our other stuff combined. And so the newspaper went out of business because that's what they do. And um, (laughs) and so uh, I started my own website. I said, well, I want to learn how to do this anyway. And so it was just six little web pages. I put up a couple of my articles and I said, tell me about your ghost experiences. And since then... This has been kind of like my my study. My, it's it's evolved into my life's work. How do we chronicle these things? How do we uh, record them? How do we talk about them? How do we further the discussion about everything that's going on that we know that we don't know? And it's it's just grown. So those little six web pages turned into you know fifty thousand pages of content and contributors from all over the world and it's evolved into everything else that i do so who knew who knew way back when that um that little website would evolve into a career i know it's amazing huh and you know i remember too i was looking looking around for different ghost uh things on the internet and um there there was at that time a a group uh the international ghost hunter society uh which was, you know, on the net, you could find it. And I think yeah. uh, maybe TAPS, I'm trying to think if TAPS was up by then or not. Uh, but anyways, but uh, so I, I went and I, I tried to find their site. And uh, yeah, it's still up there. They, they offer online courses. And uh, the guy, the founder, uh, Dr. Dave, uh, what's his Oster, name? Oster, right? Thank you very much. Yes, it's, yeah. it's, it's long since passed, but uh yeah, it's still there. It's, a, it's you know, these are like wicked. Yeah. The status. The, ma- the man who claimed to have invented the, the word orb. 
Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's his great claim for fame. He he invented the term orb huh, about I two think... years after everybody else. But he's well, I, I think Noah Webster might have something to say <laughs> about that. Well, if you go if you go to the IGH website, uh, the late Doctor Dave, um, IGH, you know, yes. that's that's the uh, that's the first thing that you you encounter. Uh, how he um, invented, created, coined the term orb. Mm. Which is funny because the UFO people were using that term in the eighties. Well, yeah, I mean, right? those, well, the paranormalists were using it at least two years earlier than his claim. So, yeah, well, uh, so um, yeah. early on, I, I I talked to some some old uh, UFO hunters, and they they showed all these photographs from the nineteen eighties, and they said these are orbs. This is mm-hmm. UFO UFO uh, sightings in a, captured on a photo, and I went, huh? And then the the ghost people stole them from the UFO people and said, no, 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 that's spirit energy. Those are ghosts. And then suddenly all the, the cameras got a lot better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? That's it. Yeah. Like the, even the camera on your phone is like eight megapixels now. And suddenly we don't get many orbs anymore because the cameras are getting really good. So well, I don't know. Back if in the go- day, most, most of the ghost hunters were um, busy chasing the vortexes. Do you remember those? Oh, I do. Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> Let's put the camera strap in front of the... Uh, right, the camera the strap, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God, it's a vortex! <laughs> so and, so one of the things, when I first started in this, I, I, I felt like I was such an open book. And so with, with, with cameras, I contacted Olympus, the, cam, the camera maker, and I said, I'm getting these, these strange glowing balls, uh, appearing glowing balls in my photographs. Please explain to me what I'm doing wrong. Uh, coming from it like as a consumer saying, I don't want them in the picture. I just want the thing I took a picture of. And it was very well explained to me how the digital cameras back then, and, and very much still today, they have multiple lenses that are correcting and, and uh, all the images that come in. And so you can have a reflection from off-camera, something you can't even see in the image, creating a lens flare that creates that orb uh, in one of those lenses, and then it shows up as this thing. And it's, it's basically the, the, what's happened is the software and the, the, the physical lenses have just gotten better and better at doing those corrections. And we don't get that stuff anymore. Also, if you have dust or moisture too close to the lens, it, it, gets, it turns into this, this halo effect. And so I got some really great explanations about how that can happen. And then not only that, if you take like a, a, a tissue, not today because you need to save those, uh, but a, <laughs> but you know in the future when when they're not uh, when you're not stockpiling them, take a tissue and just rub it together really fast and then click a picture, and you'll find orbs right. The, all, all that Sweet. that tissue dust will be so close, and so so I found all these really good reasonable explanations for how these things were turning up and I just I, I always tried to share that stuff now that being said I know people who have witnessed glowing balls of energy move through a room with their naked eye and I've seen a couple of videos just a couple uh, out of thousands upon thousands where you see this glowing ball of light but it's producing its own light and as it moves around i saw one you know uh, in in a backyard and it was it would light up the tree as it passed by this thing made light i don't know what that is i can't promise you that was devils or demons but i can tell you that it was a a glowing ball of light that produced light and was moving around in in a really weird way captured on film that, if you want to call that an orb, okay. I mean, whatever. And if, and if you want to speculate as to what that is, I'm listening. 
Um, but that's one of those, you, you know, when you look at photos, you go, come on, I've, I've gotten millions of those photos. I actually delete them now because I'm like, shoot, I was trying to get a good picture of the building and now I've got this thing in there. I want, I want it without, um, but oh, I, I, but I have those in there though. <laughs> well, People the just can, say, oh, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> it can be distracting though. So if you're giving a presentation and that's the only shot you have, like when I, when I do talks in front of audiences, which is my favorite thing to do, I always want like a, an establishing picture like here here's the building i'm going to tell you about right now let me start outside and if there's an orb in it someone goes look 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 an orb and i'm like oh no i just want you to look at the picture i just want you to look at the building forget the orb that was an accident um but uh luckily i've got much better cameras now and i really don't get too many orbs anymore oh that's a shame when they they first came out and when i was first introduced to them i like you know, because we originally, when we started doing this, we used regular film cameras and everything. And the, the digital was just new then, and they started appearing. So I wasn't sure what they were. So I figured, number one, either we had vented technology that we could actually capture something paranormal, or there was a flaw in the, the technology. And, right. Yeah. So, but I didn't know at the time. I really didn't, because digital was like ooh all weird to me at that time now that being said so i I kept learning i kept learning about Mm -hmm. photography and so digital cameras can and do uh depending on the the brand and and how you know the software can and do see a little bit beyond the visible light spectrum i mean some of course are designed to they're designed to look into infrared or to ultraviolet and so if you get a little bit once they break well I mean, yeah, all of them, right? But but so but so even even a regular like cell phone camera, uh, it, it's first of all it discerns faster than the human eye can. I mean, and even that's even your cell phone can do that. But especially the high end cameras. I mean, those things can, you know, if you if you've got a a horse speeding by in a race, those cameras can stop time. You know, uh, at at fractions of a second so if there's something out there that's moving faster than our eye can discern or just beyond the visible light spectrum then sure i would be curious what 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 can those cameras see can they show us something that that our eyes can't i mean they, 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 we know they can but what that thing is is the the big question it, it depends on your perspective right whether right you know, I mean, some people believe they're angels. Some people believe oh, they're yeah. demons. Some people believe they're spirits. Some people believe they're bugs. Oh, so a friend of mine uh, wrote a book Supersonic called, uh, <laughs> called uh, Waiting for Mary. And it was he went around chronicling Marian apparitions, the Virgin Mary, right? Oh, cool, yeah. And, no, it was a great book because he went at it just so objectively. He's not a religious fanatic. He's not a paranormal person at all. Mm-hmm. And he would go and he would talk to people. And these Marian sightings happen quite often. It only happens to one person, but there could be 100 people out in someone's front yard knowing that inside the, mar- the the apparition is happening right now, but they can't see it, only the one person. And while it's happening, they pray, they take pictures of the sky. And remember those little cheap disposable ones, that, yeah. that the film cameras? So uh, my friend Mark was shown these photographs that say, look, when the Mary uh, sighting is happening for the person in, in the house, I take pictures of the sky and look. And they took a picture of the sun with one of those disposable cameras. And there's this rectangle 
uh, very clear rectangle uh, around the sun that's just blasted out. And they said, look, that is literally the doorway to heaven that opened, that Mary came down. Uh, and, and Mark's going, well, you know, that is the cheapest camera you can literally buy. You cannot spend any less money. And the shutter in there is just completely overwhelmed by the sunlight. And the shutter is a rectangle. Like, that's that's a, you just got a picture of the, the, the shutter getting just overwhelmed by direct sunlight. Nope. It's the door to heaven opening the That's golden right. gates. And, and, and so they were at an impasse, right? He's trying to explain how that camera can't take a picture of the sun very well. And they were trying to explain to him that a miracle was happening and he can't see it. And I guess in the end, both were correct, right? right. I mean, so you've got one person speaking from, from a position of, of pure faith. And this validates their faith, and you've got the other guy just being objective and going, yeah, but that's not how cameras work. And I'm not saying there's no heaven or no Mary, but I am saying that photo and just an impasse, total impasse, and they both left feeling correct. Doesn't that happen uh, like uh, Andrea Perron now is is pretty much into that kind of like UFO and stuff like that. And, yeah. and she, and she takes crowds out and there I've are been people there. that I've seen. Yeah. Was, yeah really? Well, wow. I've seen, the, I've seen the crowds. Let me clarify. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm amazed, <laughs> yeah. but there are people that, that, that will, you know, testify with her as saying, yes, I yep. see that. I see I, it. And there are well, other people say, huh? Ron, it was the craziest thing. We were, we were at uh, Michigan Paracon last summer. It was the summer before she brought everyone outside. There must've been, 150 200 of us out oh. there and um i mean it was right outside it's a short walk and i'm like okay i'll i'll bite let's let's watch and there were people pointing up in the sky saying i see it it's right there and, and not a lot maybe three or four or five and the rest of us i'm not going to call them a liar but i did not see what they were seeing i didn't see what andrea said she was seeing i didn't see what a couple other people said they were seeing I was standing, you know, just a few feet away from them, looking in the same spot, and I didn't see it. Um, but then maybe that experience wasn't meant for me to have it. Um, I accept go. that, and yeah. so I went back into the bar. Yeah, as well you should. I did. Steve with us? Uh, did he die? Steve's with us. Oh, he's well, Why quiet. would he die? Well, I don't know. Nothing. Nothing. You told me you had the. The, the what do you call it? But anyways, uh, Steve, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, what, what, what's your explanation? On what? on what? Which particular aspects? Well, you, were you listening? Or what? Yeah. Well, of course, but you, you asked me, I mean, it's been a long conversation. You're asking me about going outside to see Angela, uh, with Angela well, Perrin, why, why, why Stairway to Heaven. People, wait, why um, do some people see certain things and other people Well, the oldest don't. saying of all, regardless, is that you always see the God that you believe in. You know, people who believe in UFOs see alien visitations. People who believe in ghosts and apparitions see ghosts. People who believe in flying saucers see flying saucers. Because belief plays the, the largest part. You know, when people have studied this, the, these uh, apparitional phenomena and experiences that people have, belief is the major driving force. So, well, me, you know. So, on you, that. Oh, I'm sorry, Steve, go ahead. No, go on. I'll continue. So on that note, and I'll ask this to both of you, is, is that uh, why are we seem to evolve in our explanations? In other words, you know, for instance, now uh, Bigfoot and, and even shadow people are now dimensional beings rather than what they were originally. Now there's something else. Why is that change in, in the general 
belief uh, we have nowadays. That's actually fairly easy to to suggest a possible explanation for, and that's disillusionment. And we can look at the, the progress of some of the ghost hunting gadgets that, that quite well illustrate that. Because if we, if we throw the clock back to just after uh, the turn of the millennium and the advent on television of Most Haunted, ghost hunters and their ghost detecting emf meters everybody had to rush out and buy one everybody had a k2 everybody had a cell sensor everybody had a trifield meter and they were used as ghost detectors and then you people realized that actually they're not ghost detectors so they moved on to using them as communication devices they started talking to the flashing lights and the flickering lights and the, the different colours meant different things and they ascribe different meanings to them and that still goes on to, to some extent but people then progressed beyond them as they became more and more disillusioned with the, with the devices and you also see it on the programmes themselves because in the series one, series two people were quite happy with the headless phantom that drifted silently down the corridor um, then by series four, by series five, we were dealing with the murderer, the victim, the cohorts of the murderer. Um, by series seven, by series eight, we started to get the evil side of them, you know, the, the evil, twisted, psychopathic murderers. And then we had the full-blown demons. Mm-hmm. Jeff, what, what is what is your thought? I mean, you've been in TV for quite a while uh, working with the Ghost Adventures and, and mm-hmm. other things. Uh, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, well, so Ghost Adventures started by looking for the darkest stuff. Like, that's how they, they cut their teeth and made a name for themselves. While other TV shows were happy with, you know, the ghost of a little girl that knocks on the wall, Ghost Adventures wanted to find the, the darkest stuff out there. They wanted to go to places where really bad things happen and talk to people that have been affected like pushed and attacked and so on um yeah i i I get that that's more compelling television and um but at the same time i also get that when something like that happens uh getting pushed or scratched or whatever that is frightening and it's very easy to say like well if something bad happened to me then it must be demonic completely forgetting a couple of things number one that there's bad people, <laughs> you know, really regular old people that do stuff that if you want to label it demonic, you sure could. I mean, the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world and the Adolf Hitlers and the son of Sam's and so many other people that have done just things that, you know, Stephen King could only dream of, um, but did it in real life. So, sure, you know, uh, but at the same time, too, like, you know, we we do bump into each other. If you've ever walked through a crowded train station or whatever you've bumped into someone you would you didn't meant them no harm you just were clumsy or whatever uh so it, i i we start connecting dots right it's what we do and when we're in a place of fear the dots we connect go to the darkest place we can imagine if you're in a good place the dots we connect probably go to something a lot more mundane and that's uh, all about perspective, right? Um, and as we said before, you know, you're looking for the, the the god you pray to. Of course, you've got to remember a lot of these programs actually driven by the advertiser ratings. <laughs> well, sure. Well, of course. So, well, no, right. So, so if if Ghost Adventures, I mean, by the way, Ghost Adventures, eleven years, right? No, twelve, almost twelve years now. Wow. Been, been, and I mean, for any TV show to make it twelve years, that's the very few do can do that. Very few. Simpsons. Um, 
Since, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, n- name 10 others. You know, like it, it's really quite a thing to be able to stay on TV that long. And, and so, um, so yeah, I, I get it. And TV also is meant to entertain. And even Zach and Aaron, they'll tell you, you're, you're watching a highlight. You're watching something that's been edited down to minutes when, when you know, they spent days there and there were cameras rolling and, and capturing B-roll and doing interviews and all kinds of things. So, um, so yeah, the, the, the reality is that if, if the, the scariest, darkest stuff is what's getting the highest ratings, then that's what they're going to keep doing. And that's what other shows are going to do. Uh, other shows got a lot darker after Ghost Adventures became successful. Other shows started to try to up mm-hmm. the ante. You know, what else can mm-hmm. we do? And they, they do. They follow the leaders. And, and so uh, while that, that works well for Ghost Adventures, um, you know, I, I, as you know, do a lot of other things. I write books. I've got my own podcast. I've got my own programs that I work on. Which we're going to talk about after the break. Yeah, yep. no, and, and, and so other kinds of stories tend to interest me more. And then for Ghost Adventures, I help them research the darker stuff. So I guess I have balance. That's good. <laughs> so, I mean, have you have you ever witnessed any of this dimensional shifting stuff or bad stuff or demons uh, in, in all the events and stuff you've done? Well, well, so I've seen stuff that has left me a little shaken. Where I was in a place and I felt okay. Here's an example. I was in uh, Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, and New we drama. were there <laughs> middle of the night, right? And mm-hmm. um, it's 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 um, an old old prison. It's abandoned now. You can go in for tours. Haunted reputation. And I was walking through one of the cell blocks, totally alone. There were plenty of people in other cell blocks, but in the one I was in, I happened to be alone. And I got halfway down, and it's totally dark, and I'm not using a flashlight because I know my way around, and, and I've been in places like this plenty. And suddenly I felt all, – all I can describe is I felt raw fear, just absolutely petrified. I didn't see anything. Nothing touched me. Nothing jumped out. I felt raw fear, and, and I got really like analytical about it. And I said, okay, wait a minute. Uh, I'm going to walk back to the middle because this is a big like wagon wheel rotunda. I'm going to walk back to the middle. And see how I feel. And I walked back to the more lit part in the middle, and I went, okay, I'm, I'm fine right here. I don't feel any fear at all. And then I took a few steps down a different cell block, and I went, yep, nope, this is fine too. No big deal. I'm like, okay, let's go back. Let's go back to the one that scared me. Once again, got halfway down, and I was petrified. And I went, well, this isn't this curious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I got out of there. I left. Because I, I believe in my heart of hearts, if your inner voice is telling you you're in danger, get away – whether that's a, an alleyway in a city where someone could mug you or, or kill you or, or, uh, or, or in the woods and there's an animal approaching, whatever that vo- voice is, I think you listen to it. Uh, and so that's, um, that's what I did. I stayed out of that one particular cell block the rest of the night. I can't promise you it was anything other than something within me, but I was afraid. And I don't usually get afraid in places like this. Hmm. And I'm afraid myself because we have to take a break. All right. So you're listening to uh, 
Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Pass and Ron Kolick right here on Tojanet and Pararex Radio. Our guest today is the hottest working man in the paranormal, Jeff Belanger. And today's show, as always, is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 4 High Street, 155 North Andover, Massachusetts. We'll be right back. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Ghost Chronicles International with me, the man behind the dust mask. The virus mask. Uh, you also have New England's own Ben Helsink, Jeff Belanger, and the laziest man in the paranormal, Ron Holek. It's pretty much sums it up. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> yeah, so the good thing about Zach, at least he has his own mask. He does. Yes, he does. Yeah, but we have to wear them all the time now over here if we go shopping. Really? Yeah, it's like a big episode of Ghost Adventures. <laughs> or, or The Walking Dead. Whatever. Or The Walking Dead, yeah. Zombie Apocalypse. Yeah. But it's, what, what is interesting, actually, you were talking about, um, we mentioned belief and expectation. Uh, you, you were talking about Eastern State Pen, because obviously the psychologist would say, once you'd spooked yourself, then, of course, you go back there, you're expecting to be spooked. It but could we, be, we, yeah. We, we kind of saw uh, belief, the power of belief at Spirit Quest um, when we were demoing the SLS camera and we were showing people how to make the little stick men. Right, uh, right. Dancing stick men appear in the corner of the doors, uh, the door the door frames. And then uh, having thought that we'd done a really good, or I thought I'd done a really good job of demonstrating the fact that the SLS camera um, ah. was a little bit of electronic hocus pocus. I was <laughs> shocked to discover um, one of the uh, participants had gone back and had said to Ron, yeah, it was all very good, but I still believe that they're paranormal. 
Yep. She didn't believe in Steve. She said, yeah, that might be true, but <laughs> Jeff yeah. actually showed me the ghost. Yeah. <laughs> She was it, she she was making her own ghosts. It wasn't anything mm-hmm. we were doing. Um, no, she was conjuring them. There's a difference. Well, well, so so that's the thing, right? And uh, I so for me, going out to like an old spooky building, walking around for a few hours at night, just kind of drinking it in, maybe taking a few pictures. I'm cool. That's a good night for me. Like, I, really, I'm happy with that. And I understand that people that are into ghost hunting, it's it's like going fishing. If you go fishing once a week for 10 years and you don't even get a nibble, let alone bring one in, I, I got to imagine you're going to lose your interest in fishing. So you got to start uh, you got to start collecting other things other than bringing fish onto the boat. Right. So then you start saying, like, ooh, I thought I felt a tug on the line. Well, was it a fish, or did your your hook snag a tree underneath the water? You don't really know, but it was something. It was something that at least caught your attention. Um, so then you start saying, like, wow, I went fishing, and I got three little, you know, shakes on the line. <laughs> right? And so suddenly we, that's, that becomes the, the takeaway. Well, I, I got that. Whereas, you know, th- there's a bumper sticker, right? A bad day of fishing is still better than a good day at work. Yeah. Uh, if you can just appreciate that you're outside with the fishing rod in, in the fresh air on the water, and if nothing at all happens, that's still pretty good. That's how I feel about investigating and going out into these places. Like, wow. man, it's awesome. You get to be in these buildings when they're shut down, or, or you know, with permission and, and moving through, and 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 you're walking where history has been made. You're you're looking at things that not a lot of people get to see. You're seeing what you feel and what you hear and what you experience. Once in a blue moon, I've had something happen where I went, whoa! I I can't explain that, but it wasn't an emf meter bouncing it wasn't a temperature fluctuation of one degree it was seeing uh, someone step out into a hallway and saying wait we're the only people in here what could cause that or or hearing footsteps when you know you've secured the building and and running to investigate and seeing no there's no one there those are the kind of things that excite me but i don't expect them to happen because i can count on really you know like one hand how many times in 20 years that's happened right so one of the other you, problems you've got oh, is when okay. people go fishing nowadays, um, it's not a, it's not a tug on the line or even two tugs on the line. Uh, what they're coming back with now are mermaids. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, that's what they're telling us anyway. Right, right. They're coming back saying, "Hey, I got a mermaid," but you know, it went away. I always mm. caught the sunfish. You know, those things would bite on anything. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jeff, you do a, a lot of things. You, you know, you've you've written like six thousand books, and uh, uh, what, how much? Do you know how many books you've written now? Um, I just turned in number fifteen. Wow, fifteen books! And you have a new one coming out on your experiences in climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, right? Yeah, Kilimanjaro. Yeah, that's the book I just turned in. Um, we're literally settling on the cover design right now, and awesome. it's about to go into layout. It won't come out until April of twenty twenty one, but it's the most personal thing I've ever written. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, and so we have something to look forward to. Uh, if somebody, by the way, if somebody wants to find out more about Jeff Belanger, how can they do that? Uh, you can find me on social media. You've got my website, jeffbelanger.com, ghostvillage.com, if you're into the more ghostly side and you can find out the things that I'm doing, uh, you know, where I'll be speaking and, and the different projects I'm working on. Uh, I'm always doing something because I just, I love this stuff. And um, 
and frankly, it doesn't pay very well. So you got to do a lot of a lot of different things. We all agree on that one. <laughs> if you're going to try to eat, <laughs> the, the other thing is if you've you've gotten pretty much involved in this this new project, and I, and I say it's new, but it really hasn't. You've been doing it for a while now, and it's podcasts about some unusual things. Do you want to explain it to me a little bit? So the New England Legends podcast is a spinoff of um, the TV series I started for PBS back in 2013. And the podcast is uh, its just so much fun. that I've been doing them every week for 135 weeks in a row, but who's counting? God bless you. And God it's bless a <laughs> never miss. We haven't missed a show in, in all wow. that time. And uh, it's, it's a short produced story. They're about 12 minutes each. 12 to 15 minutes each there's they're produced we've got sound effects and music and voice actors and it's all about looking at a legend somewhere in new england and we 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 cover cryptids and monsters and odd history and ghosts and uh just general weirdness uh from from all around and then uh we tell the story and it's about like how did we get here how did we get to right now and that's that's what paranormal investigation is right that building over there is haunted well why the only way to answer that is to go back through its history and start looking well what happened here did anything significant happen did did anything leave a mark that that we're still talking about and and i love that that idea because that's how you tell a mystery story right i mean a mystery story is told sort of backwards there's been a murder and who done it? Who had the motives? Who who were the suspects? And then you sort of unravel this story, uh, starting at the at present and then going back and coming back to present. And it's so much fun to tell these stories. And so as we started doing it, suddenly this whole community formed, and people were contacting us saying, "Hey, have you heard about this weird story in my little hometown? Or have you heard about this or that?" And then people are taking pictures, and their the website grew, and the Facebook group grew, and so we've now got this whole community of people sharing these weird stories, stories that I think are super important because we're still telling them, right? The fact that we're still talking about some of these weird legends, it, it means that there's some some inherent moral or lesson. Uh, it's a sermon from our own past, and we haven't learned the lesson yet because we're still talking about it. Whether we're talking about a, a haunted building because a murder took place there that's still unsolved, or a strange creature that was seen in a lake or, or in the woods or whatever, um, it's it's a story that we keep telling because, in a way, it prepares us for weird things that are happening today and that will continue to happen in the future. Yeah, that they're they're so intriguing too because they they go on a variety of subjects. I mean, if you had to pick, like, say, a couple of your favorite, what would what would they be? Oh God, um, one of my favorite ones that I just keep coming back to is the, a uh, the story of a man eating apple tree. In Providence, huh? Rhode Island. What? This, there's an apple tree in Providence, Rhode Island that not only ate a man, but ate Roger Williams himself. Roger Williams, the founder of Rhode Island, was eaten by an apple tree. Fact. Fact. And not only that, the roots of that tree are on display right now at the Rhode Island Historical Society's Museum in Providence. You can go see no it. Well, not now because everything's closed. But, you know... In the future, when things open again, you can go see the actual tree root. It's such an amazing story. Uh, it was it was covered so well in the papers. Roger Williams, the founder of Rhode Island, had this crazy idea that there should be a separation of church and state. I mean, obviously, the guy's crazy, right? Yeah. And so th- those ideas were so radical, it got him kicked out of Massachusetts. 
But then he moved south to Rhode Island, where he made friends with the Narragansett uh, Native Americans who were there, and, and he learned their language. And they said, "Hey, come set up shop here. We got plenty of room." And so he he these ideas uh, sort of he kept preaching these ideas. He died, and and was kind of no big deal at the time. I mean, he, you know, there was some respect there, but he didn't become a big deal until the United States was writing its constitution, and someone said, "Hey, Roger Williams, who had died almost a hundred years earlier." Remember that idea, the separation of church and state? We should put that in, in these documents we're working on. <laughs> and suddenly Rhode Island started feeling proud of this guy. Like, hey, not only was he the founder of Rhode Island, he had a hand in the Constitution and all this other stuff. This is great. And so by the, the latter half of the 1800s, they want to dig up his body from his little family plot in Providence and, and build a proper memorial for him because this is, this is a guy. I mean, they, they've now named colleges after him and zoos and parks, and he's getting to be big. Uh, and so they go to his little family plot, and they know right where it is. Everyone knows. And right by the base of this old, old apple tree, they start digging up his his grave, and they break through the rotting wooden coffin. I mean, he's been in the ground 150 years now. And they find that his body is more or less gone, and the tree roots from that apple tree had grown into the coffin and sort of absorbed the guts and whatever was left of Roger Williams. Uh, and, and so the newspapers are speculating, imagine how many neighbors, how many marauding boys have come through this boneyard, stealing apples from that apple tree, all of them eating Roger Williams, right? It's <laughs> so the Rhode Island Historical Society didn't miss a beat. This is the 1860s. They, they cut the tree root. They took whatever was left, just bone fragments and some teeth and stuff like that. And they brought it all back to their museum, and they put that tree root on. I mean, they had it in, in storage, but uh, it was about 20 years ago. So many people asked about it that they actually put it on the wall and said, yep, that's the, that's the tree that ate Roger Williams. And, and, I, and I love it because it's all true. And it's, it's there, and there's the tree root, and, uh, and it's just such a great story. And, then it, and it, it begs the question, right? Like, so the tree pulled some nutrients from his rotting corpse and produced fruit. Year after year after year, and That's people true. ate that fruit. And so uh, who knows how many countless people ate Roger Williams. Yeah. That's it. One of my favorite ones was the uh, Popsicle people from Vermont. Pops. Oh, right, the Vermont's frozen people. Yes. So it's, it's a story that, that made its way around the folklore uh, where there was a family that was so poor in the winter, what they would do is they, they came up with this special recipe where they would literally freeze their relatives for the winter and then store them so that so they wouldn't have to consume food. They wouldn't have to be a, a burden on the family that had so little. And they would freeze them all winter. And then in the spring, they would slowly thaw them out. And then they could be alive for the, the summer or the warmer months. And, uh, and, and this, this story got prominent enough that uh, some of the colleges started to look into it and say, well, could it be that they actually have a way to sort of like suspend animation or, or bring people down to this, this hibernative state by, by making them cold? Uh, they had already understood at that point. Sometimes people fall into a frozen pond or whatever, and, and, they, and their heart rate slows so much. But, but they have been revived. It, it has happened. And they started, there might be something to this. And, of course, uh, Vermonters, who are their own breed anyway, um, you know, they tell the story as if it's absolute fact. And so it was really tough for these researchers to tell. Like, are they, are they serious or are they, they playing with us? And with a Vermonter, it's tough to tell anyway, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the way I heard it. I'm sticking to it. And, uh, and of course, 
though no definitive proof was found, that story still gets told around the campfires there in the winters of Vermont. Yeah, it's been in like a lot of newspapers and stuff as yeah. well. It's it's been right. around for a long, long time. Everyone knows it, but like there's nothing concrete you can find. And that's just really cool. And so it, but but there's a moral there, right? Right? The the reason we keep telling that story is because winters, especially Vermont winters, can be brutal. They can be long and they can be cold and if you don't have enough food to survive the winter, you could die. And you start looking at how many people you have to provide for once the weather starts turning cold in the fall. And you remember that story that people had to actually freeze their relatives in order to make it to the spring. And you want to make sure that you don't have to do that. So that story serves us. It's, it serves us today, even in our modern days of, of everything else, right? We're, we're preparing for this thing, this idea that we could get snowed in and we have limited resources, limited food. How do we deal with it? How do we solve it? Hold on a minute. That could be a possible way out of this uh, coronavirus yeah. situation because it's right. only affecting the elderly community. So right. that's definitely at risk. So maybe if we just freeze them. Freeze them for a year. Wait till it blows over. Yeah, right. And no, we're good. I, no, you know, a fine it'll, idea. It'll defeat the whole purpose. It's a lesson from history. We all know that the the uh, the virus virus was ge- genetically engineered by Illuminari oh, because the old people were trained on our social security system. So this is a good well, way it would of would solve the pension you know, crisis. You know, cleaning, clean, yeah, exactly. Oh. You know, you know, cleaning that up a little bit. So yeah, you guys are terrible. No, I saw, a, I saw a guy today, it was a, I think it was a Texan uh, governor, suggesting that um, the over-69 over should get out there uh, on the front line, run the economy, sacrifice themselves for the youngsters. Yeah, we and saw that. serious. That, that made the rounds, yeah, that, that news clip what did make the rounds. crackpot. <laughs> yeah. You know what, it's just, so, okay, another story. From, speaking of New England legends, one I love to tell, the story of Mercy Brown. The Rhode Island vampire, right? So here we are right now. It's happening again. So this is uh, 1892. The Brown family had been decimated by consumption, tuberculosis. Tuberculosis is still one of the leading killers in the world, but very much under control thanks to vaccinations and things like that here in the U.S. If people Uh, vaccinate. Right, if people are vaccinating. And in in modern countries, right, we've got it mainly under control. but, But there was a time in the U.S. where one in seven people would get it. That's a lot. Right. That's right. that's significant. And it and it could it, it was a killer. Some people died within weeks. Some people died within months or years. And some people just sort of lived with it. It just this this lung uh, bacteria that would just sort of slowly eat you away. And they could live with it the rest of their lives. So the Brown family. A quick side note there. Uh, yes. Both both of my wife's parents had TB and they actually met in the TB hospital. And see. And, and, and so I mean, that's. And those those TB hospitals, like the remains of them are still around, like the Waverly Hills sanatoriums and things like that. So the Brown family is just decimated by this thing. Uh, The mother had died, Mary. The oldest daughter, Mary Olive, uh, had died. Edwin, the son, is sick, and he goes out west to try to get some fresh air to kind of keep him, you know, the dry air being better for him. And then Mercy gets ill and dies in, in January of 1892, and Edwin comes home for the funeral. And someone says, look, Edwin's dying. 
and you're the victim of a vampire. This is before Bram Stoker. This is before Twilight and, and, and Nosferatu, before all that stuff, right? You're the victim of a vampire. If you find the vampire, you might be able to save your son. And so he's convinced, the father's convinced, uh, and he goes and he exhumes the bodies of his, of his wife and his daughter, and then he goes to the keep because uh, uh, Mercy had died in the winter. You keep them in a keep because the ground's right. frozen. Her body had moved. They surgically opened her chest and found liquid blood in the heart. And they said, this is it. This is proof. Liquid blood. Her body moved. She must be the vampire. Her heart's removed. They burn the ashes on the rock, uh, a nearby rock, mix it in an elixir, and feed it to Edwin, thinking this will break the vampire's spell. And this is a desperate dad uh, thinking, this is my last shot to maybe save my dying son. And two months later, of course, Edwin did pass away. And it sounds crazy. And by the way, it was crazy by 1892 standards, too. This was not the Dark Ages. I mean, the newspapers were saying, what are these crazy people in Exeter, Rhode Island doing, uh, digging up the dead and eating their hearts? Uh, What they were doing was was turning to folklore when medical science couldn't give them a satisfactory answer. When, When doctors couldn't save Edwin... Uh, they said, you know, you've got someone saying, hey, here's the, here's this vampire cure. And vampires have been around for as long as there's been plagues. They feed on the lifeblood of the living. They're, they're the explanation when you can't come up with another one. Uh, that's what's spreading this illness from one person to another. It's a, it's a vampire. It's some preternatural monster. Slay the monster. Save the people. And the crazy thing is, I bet that cure has worked before maybe one in a million times, but it doesn't matter. And you could also say, the skeptic in you oh, might say, well, they were going to get better anyway, right? Are you going to take that? That's Cal. He always calls during the show. Oh, that's nice, Cal. So, so, so the reality is, like, someone did it once, ate the ashes, and they got better. And probably we're going to get better anyway, but it doesn't matter. The, the remedy was passed on and passed on, and it was tried again as, as recently as 1892. Because when a plague hits, we're afraid, and then we start to lose our minds. And that's a scary time. Right. Stephen, in the UK, they have stories like that. Um, yeah, the thing is, I'm not really a folklorist, and so I don't, I don't have the... Um, but isn't folklorist in, in, like... Par- uh, paranormal history kind oh, of God, the same yeah absolutely well no um, there is a lot of there is a lot each each case that you you would look at would have a history so we'd have right. individual folklore right um, but you have people who are like Jeff you know they dedicated to the, the, all of the stories Dylan um, our friend is, is is another one who collects avidly reads ghost stories and tales of haunted locations for me I've always and we, we've had these issues when I've been over there I don't really take an interest in the sort of the macro scale of, of um, the pursuit I, I look at the micro scale of the location itself that you know that which one I'm particularly working on at the time, or a case that I'm, I'm, I'm in, engaged with, uh, rather than um, you know the sort of idea that Dylan, who when he came over went to every haunted building in New England, um, <laughs> because that fascinates him, that interests him. I obviously take an interest in history, and I, I, I mirror what Jeff said earlier that one of the greatest pleasures for me is 
going to see behind the scenes of these great historic buildings and um, it, or even you know the, the sort of uh, the lower end domestic and industrial buildings you get to see behind the scenes you get to scratch beneath and under the surface and that to me is fascinating uh, but on a on a sort of micro scale not the macro scale of folklorists so yeah I'm, I'm aware of uh, we have vampire uh, we have probably i think the highgate the highgate cemetery vampire uh, is probably but one you of have the different ones right yeah yeah well, i mean i don't know of anywhere we've, right. we've dug them up and roasted the hearts and eaten them but you know give us a few more weeks days. <laughs> we're, only, we're only in the first like 48 hours of lockdown yeah so so jeff i mean how do you is there enough stories to keep that you've you've done over a hundred and how many now hundred and oh well between the tv show and the podcast we're over 150 just in the last couple of years every every is, week a new story. are you running out no not even close Oh my goodness! Really? And, and what's what's fantastic? So, for example, I would never do a story on Bigfoot. It's too big. It's too too broad, right? Like that's not interesting to me. But the monster of Coca Cola Ledge in North Adams, Massachusetts, that's a story. And by the way, that monster is a Bigfoot creature by all accounts. Um, so I'm interested in the very specific. Uh, cases that show up in uh, sometimes just one town, right? The one town, one place. And if if you think about that, oh, there's no shortage. And I've got a spreadsheet. People email us, they text us, uh, they're posting on my social media. Hey, have you heard about such and such? And I just put it in the spreadsheet and say, all right, I'll look into it later. And when I'm when I'm looking for a Rhode Island story, I just go to my spreadsheet and say, oh, what's this one? I, I mean, someone just told me, and, and I haven't verified this yet, uh, that there was a day when something like 18 pirates were hanged in Newport, uh, Rhode Island, on the same day. And I'm like, wow, how do I, how do we not all know that one? You know? Um, and, and so it's stuff like that, where someone just gives you this little tip, and you say, well, shoot, I want to know more. And then sometimes you dig, and there's a story. Sometimes there's not, but but you know, that's that's the fun of this is finding these these great old leads. And and I think, like I said before, we keep talking about them because we have uh, we connect to them. We connect to them for some reason. There's some lesson we just haven't learned yet. And and, and Mercy Brown, the vampire, like you know, we're not far off. Right before we, we start, we're looking for some boogeyman to blame for this coronavirus. Well, you know, we've had the alien. We've had the aliens. We've had the Bill Gates laboratories in Wuhan. Right. We've had. Uh, yeah. We've already had about uh, what? I added the luminary. <laughs> yeah. The, the... Well, I've 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 read about must be close to a dozen different versions um, of how it's either Obama or Gates or it all comes back to Bill Gates, right? Um, or aliens, but Bill Gates is the current uh, v- villain of choice because. As people, we're not good at being angry at some invisible thing we can't see. We need to focus our anger on. Uh, we, we need something. We need. We need a. Yeah, person. it's interesting. People were trying to invoke the Blitz spirit. Um, you know, let's all pull together and beat the Germans. And uh, it was people. Others were saying, "Well, it was easy then. We knew what we were facing. Thing of these black crossed bombers that were flying over and dropping stuff on us. Um, we could deal with." Right. This we can't deal with it because we can't see it. You know, it's in the air around us. It's it's kind of insidious. You don't know who's got it. You don't know if you've walked past somebody and you've just caught it. You don't. And I I went to the uh, the store today to get some uh, the basic groceries, 
and people were huddling past with scarves pulled up across their faces or masks sure. on or and looking at each other you know god help you uh you know if you <coughs> clear your throat yeah you get you get jumped oh. on and murdered well, anyways, that is the bell, which means we've got to wrap things up. So, Jeff, if somebody wanted to find out more of these um, podcasts that you do, uh, are, are they available? And yep. Is there a cost for them? Nope. The, the podcasts are free wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, just look for New England Legends. And let me leave you with a quote from an 1879 book called Demonology and Devil Lore. And uh, the, the book was by a, a guy named Conway. It says, A familiar fable in the East tells of one who met a fearful phantom, which in reply to his questioning answered, I am plague. I have come from yon city where 10,000 lie dead. 1,000 were slain by me, the rest by fear. Oh. So fear can't kill. Ah, that's all we have to fear. Fear itself. Fear itself. Somebody said that. I don't know who. Somebody. Somebody, huh? Well, who did say that? Did. You just did. Ah, yeah, besides yeah. me. Ron Kolick, yeah. Was that yeah. Churchill or FDR? FDR. FDR? No, FDR, it was, no, it was not. It was, um, oh, come on. Come on, guys. Well, Daniel, Daniel Defoe says that back in the 1730s. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. Basically, yeah, I mean, that's almost word for word what he says back in the 1730s in his book. In one of in it was it was FDR. Thank you. You yes. went and Googled it, didn't you? I did. Fra- I, I <laughs> we have Franklin fear, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Itself. Yes. The only thing we have to fear is a fear of not having access to Google to answer these things. Yeah. God bless us. So what are the kids? Yeah, God. No, hey, wait till you get to lockdown. you wait. Yeah. Watch the, watch We're the here. Now watch the slowdown in your internet. What's oh, the, the, oh, I've already seen it. I've already seen wait, it, yeah. What's going to happen when, like, all us, oh, well, all me old people die, and there's just the youngins in the world, and, and there's some type of technological crisis, flares or something else. The whole world will stop because the youngins won't know how to deal with anything other than electronically. Oh, there's the tunes. we got to go. Jeff Belanger, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, guys. Yep. Good night. Jeff. God bless, everyone. Stay healthy. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.